Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 62. Today, Brian and I are continuing our series on the book of Ephesians. Last week, we looked at how we are made alive in Christ. And in this week's episode, we look at the work of reconciliation on the cross in the second part of Ephesians chapter two. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro. You can watch us on YouTube as well at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you are watching us there, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We've also set up a Patreon account, so if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support our continued work, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com, and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support the Bistro by simply sharing the podcast with others or leaving us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps us as well. All right, let's jump right into our conversation discussing Ephesians chapter 2. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the beach. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Good. We've been, we've been talking about what we're going to open with, and you, you've decided you don't want to talk about food anymore. Well, I mean, I always like to talk about food. I don't, I don't want everyone to get the idea that you don't like food. Or- I, I, I'm a, I am a healthy person. So you're telling me today Stealth. that you're, you and your wife are going back and watching old rom-coms. And oh, yes. Yes. To, and, and how do you feel about rom-coms in general? Uh, I am not a fan. Okay. Generally, oh, well, I've just, I've never really watched them. So I'm seeing okay. some of these, I've seen pieces of them and okay. I'm seeing them famous a lot. Famous scenes. And kind of famous scenes. I'm seeing them for the first time and uh, I, I, I don't get them. Okay. But... But for your wife, you're you're watching them. Is yes, that the idea? for love's eternal glory. <laughs> and I suggested a classic, not rom com, but a, a classic romantic movie. Yes, Casablanca that you've never seen. I've never seen, and you scorned me. <laughs> well, I just think it's it. You really it, it's it's a great movie. It's it's my favorite movie of all time. So if you like it, it must be great. Well, I'm just saying it's a great movie. <laughs> I okay. mean, it, it has stood the test of time. Yes, and isn't that the "Here's looking at you, kid" or something like that? Oh, among other things. There. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, I know a scene, I know a line from it. Actually, there are several lines you probably know from that. Things yes. like "This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship," and mm-hmm. um, what else? Um, play it, Sam. Play it again. Yeah, I, I, I'll watch or, it, uh, but I, I'm just going to say something. Of all the gin joints in all the world, she had to walk into mine. I, all I'm going to say is. People tell me these classic movies and they're amazing. You got to watch them. Okay, we well, have. But to- uh, but I'm just gonna say, I'm, uh, my last major experience with this is I had not watched Gone with the Wind. Right. And I watched Gone with the Wind, and I thought, how did this happen? Right. So I don't. I mean, it's you mean fine. the Civil War or? <laughs> so- <laughs> How did, who's coming into Atlanta and why is it on fire? All right. I have well, no anyway. context. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, we, you should watch Casablanca before. We've already got the next episode of the Bible Bistro's already. We've already recorded it's it. But in before, the can, as before, they say. Before two weeks, you should watch Casablanca and we'll. Before we'll, two weeks. And, and, and we're taking a break. We're going to just kind of give you a brief highlight yeah. here. But we're going to. Uh, we're st- we're doing another Ephesians today, right? But then we're going to take a break, and we've got some guests. Not, I wouldn't call it a break. Well, not make, a break. Make sure you tune in next yeah. week. We we had a fantastic interview with um, Josh. Josh. <laughs> completely escaped my, my mind. Josh Sharif and um, Sarah Tierney, who uh, have co-authored a book. Josh was Josh Josh's story, and uh, it's called a, a Stranger at Our Shore. Definitely tune in next week. Fantastic interview. Uh, they say some things that are just really, really good. Really highly recommend the book. It'll be coming out uh, this next June, June 7th, I think. Yeah, so. it's it's not really a book review. We talk a little bit about the book, but it's right. a little bit about Josh's story. Yeah. And then um, so it's the book's part biography and part yeah. also like kind of pastoral yeah. to, to the church and so how we be next be. week. And then we'll get back to Ephesians after that. So, yeah, and so we have another, another exciting interview coming up that we won't talk about yet, but uh, yeah, it's going to be good too, yeah. but it's going to be about, we already know it's going to be revelation. about revelation. Yeah. So everybody loves a good revelation, yeah, revelation discussion. So 
Very not, good. not to be confused with Revelations. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yes. let's get on to Ephesians chapter two, part two. Yes, so. yes, yes, yes. Let's let's do our Ephesians two here. So it, this part. So we had the first part of Ephesians chapter two, and how would you how would you kind of summarize what we talked about in that in that passage? Uh, you know, I keep like what Christ has done for us. I mean, it says right. in our Bibles made alive in Christ, but just what Christ has brought us out of. Right. And so here's, here's the interesting thing is the way that there's kind of a parallel between the last half of Ephesians two and the first half of Ephesians two. And that is that both of them kind of began with the, the negative part of the situation. Here's how things are. Mm-hmm. And then here's how things have been remedied, how God has worked in Christ in order to remedy things. I, I would say it this way. So, the, so you remember how chapter two began? You, you were dead, dead in, in your, your transgressions, and then and you've been made alive in Christ is the idea. Now, in chapter eleven, then the the problem is, and the kind of the you thing, mean verse eleven. Yeah, I'm sorry. Chapter chapter two, verse eleven. The problem here is that you're separated from one another, and we've talked before about how sin isn't only about our relationship with God. Now that's Obviously, the most important and the the foundational broken brokenness that needs to be remedied. But we've talked before when we talk about the nature of sin, when we've talked about um, kind of the fall of humanity in general, that there are other effects that our sin have had. Uh, that that brokenness with God manifests itself in a number of different ways, and one of those is brokenness between people. Right. Um, back in Genesis 3, when we talked about Genesis 3, we talked about that our relationship being broken with God also breaks relationship between Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by the time you get to the next chapter, you have Cain killing Abel, you know, mm-hmm. and and so there's this whole series of, of brokenness. And so that's what Paul begins to address here. And again, he begins kind of with the negative side of it. So just the same way he talks about you were dead in your transgressions and sins, now he talks about this, how you were before. So go ahead and read just verses, uh, I think just verses 11 and 12 will be a place to begin here with this. Yeah. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So pretty pretty strong language here. So the separation or the, the death, really spiritual death, he talks about the beginning of the chapter. Here he talks about a separation, uses really strong language. A couple of different things I think is important for us to understand. And you just read from the NIV. Mm-hmm. And one of the things the NIV does here in the very beginning of this, therefore, and, and here I'm going to read it the way that NIV has it. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. Um, I- interestingly, if you notice, it says formerly here. Um, and, and we have this kind of language throughout this at that time. You know, he's talking about a before time. Now, the NIV says are here, present tense, uh, verb of to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are this. And probably it'd be better rendered were this. Uh, other translations um, use the past tense here. The reason is in in Greek, sometimes when there's the verb to be, it's not. It, it doesn't have to be supplied in Greek. It, it can be assumed. If there's no verb in a phrase, you just supply the verb is. That's the way the Greek language works. Uh, and, you know, some form of to be. And here they use the present tense. The, the NIV did. I pr- think it'd probably be better to be the past tense. So remember, you who formerly were. Uh, Gentiles by birth, right? Gotcha. Um, now, the idea of circumcision and uncircumcision here, we find these words used throughout the New Testament. Uh, circumcision is kind of a shorthand way. Of course, it's 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 called the sign of the covenant. If you go all the way back to Genesis, uh, it's you know. If you don't know what circumcision is, look it up. I guess I, I'll just say it's it's <laughs> it's, it, it's that's risky business. Well, yeah, fair point. But it's it's a you know it's a removal of the foreskin and and it's a sign, basically that God is the one who's who's controlling the beginning of this family, mm-hmm. um, that he is they are the the, the set apart ones for his purpose. Uh, and even when it comes to you know things like childbearing and these kind of things, he's the one who's in control. It's a constant reminder of of the covenant. It's a sign of the covenant for them. So circumcision becomes shorthand for talking not just about that practice, but about the whole law. So the uncircumcision are the ones who are who are outside of this. So so that's kind of that shorthand thing. I also want to talk about 
this word Gentiles, and it's interesting. This is this is I think the first time that we find this word in in Ephesians. I talked about before. We've talked about the word Gentiles because we've had this kind of uh, we and you mm-hmm. pronouns. You remember that? And yep. I said we have to kind of think about how how we understand that. And here it's going to be clear that when Paul begins to talk about we, he's talking about those who were born the, the circumcision, those who were born in Israel, and you. And, and, and I'm going to use the word right now, Gentiles, but I'm going to tell you something interesting about this that I think we have to, or at least I think it's interesting. <laughs> There's sometimes I think things are interesting that other people not. don't, right? Yeah, right. But, but this word ethne, uh, the Greek word is ethne here, uh, and you could probably hear we get our word ethnic from it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the word in the, in the Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew Bible that it's used it's it it's in the new testament we often translate it gentiles but it could simply be translated nations okay okay so the israel and and if you think about the prophets you hear this kind of thing constantly israel and and then the nations right mm-hmm. and and, and I'll say something more about this later on, but you know, this isn't a word. You know, we have Gentiles capitalized even when we use it in, in our translation. And my point is, this could simply be nations. When when we're talking about Israel and the nations, you know, that that's the idea. Of those who are not not, not circumcised, not Israel. But I'm going to come back because I think I think sometimes. And we see this especially in Romans, for example, where Paul's quoting Isaiah. If we look at the Old Testament translation in Isaiah, and I'll, I'll probably pull up a passage from Isaiah chapter 11 later on, but um, when we um, look at the Old Testament, it'll use the word nations. This is this is something that's happening with the nations, and, and here we use the word Gentile. So uh, I'll see if we can make a point from that later on. But I just want you to I just want you to notice that word here at this point. Okay. So he goes on. He says the circumcision is done in the body or, or in the flesh by human hands. And so here he's talking about this idea of physical circumcision. Now I think this is important for Paul because in Colossians. And, and again, I think Ephesians and Colossians are probably written at exactly the same time. Paul will talk about this other circumcision that is equated with the practice of baptism. Mm. He said it's the, it's he calls it the circumcision not done by human hands, which is kind of the opposite of this. Uh, circumcision is is literally a, a surgical procedure, you could say, a minor surgical procedure, but a surgical procedure. And and he's going to talk about something that is a, he calls it a circumcision of the heart. Right, a cutting away of of the flesh in a in a more figurative sense, <clears throat> but he goes on he says that you are at this time separate from Christ. So this idea of a brokenness in relationship, excluded from citizenship in Israel. This word citizenship is only used two times in the entire New Testament. The other time is where Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship. Mm. Um, and, and, and this word is not even the same one that's used uh, in Philippians when it talks about our citizenship is in heaven, right? This is kind of a different different word here. But we're thinking about everything that that Israel had, we might think, their, their, their civic kind of thing. And then foreigners to the covenants, and it's plural here, of the promise, covenants of the promise. And uh, covenant promise, to me, goes together when we think about the Old Testament a lot. We're, we're thinking, I think, primarily about the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, there's some people who are going to say, but the nations were included in that covenant because it, you know, you know, you might remember that covenant in Genesis chapter 12. Yes. Mm-hmm. It says that, well, how would you say that the nations are included there? What can you, uh, if you think about that covenant? I'm going to have to look it up exactly. Okay. Well, it says, I'll go ahead and say it. Yeah. Well, unless you want to. No, I mean, no. That's fine. Verses one through four. Go ahead and talk Just, about Genesis, Genesis 12, 12, one through four. Yeah. I'm just going to read it out loud. Um, the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, yeah. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that idea of peoples, all, all peoples. peoples. Uh, so, so some people say, well, the nations are included in that blessing. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea is that that you know when when we look at the old testament and especially get, again we get in the prophetic literature there's this idea that the nations you know at that point are excluded from this from this promise you know they're not a part of it 
uh, and you know, I, I'll can say more of that about that another time. But um, but anyway, he's Paul's making the case here that these, the, you know, the same way he was talking about that we're dead in our transgressions. Here he's talking about this idea that we are excluded from God's people. We are not a part of this community. Mm-hmm. It, it is kind of the point he, I, th- I think he's making. Without hope and without God in the world, which are very strong, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a strong language here. Now, the same way, if you remember at the beginning of this chapter, he then says, but God then, mm-hmm. and he talks about what he had done. Here in verse 13, and this is, this is a very interesting thing because we've seen this phrase already, but now in Christ Jesus... So it's no surprise to us that it's in Christ, this, this phrase that Paul uses, that is the solution for this problem of, of brokenness between us and, and others, this idea of separation. Now here, Paul's talking about Israel and the nations or Israel and the Gentiles is what is separated. But I think we can, we can apply this in a very broad sense for all of the kind of separations. And he, he's, he's going he's gonna to talk more about this as we go uh, through this. But let me go ahead and finish 13. Now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That language of far away and near is used frequently in the Old Testament for the idea, um, you know, it, it's proximity, right? Mm-hmm. But, but if we understand God let's say in the temple in Jerusalem, to be far away from him is this idea of separation, but then being brought near. And so you're excluded from this. uh, How do we say this? We call it God's people. You're excluded from God's people, but now you have been brought near and incorporated into, into, I I hadn't thought about the word incorporated is appropriate there, but you've been made a part of this body as we're going to see. And that's the, that's the kind of the metaphor that he uses. And it says this is done by the blood of Christ. So again, it's, it's the work that God has done in Christ on the cross um, that has made this possible. And and Paul's going to get even more specific uh, about how that happens. That link. Go ahead. Yeah. Is there anything in as we kind of look through some of the stuff? The, the, he says the word "remember" a couple times. Yeah. Is there anything to that? Or well, re- remember. In my opinion, remember is used uh, frequently in the Old Testament. Right. This is this is the thing when when God tells His people, "Remind your children of these things." Right. And then constantly He's saying, "Remember," and especially after the time of the Exodus, He's saying, "Remember." This this event, uh, there are times, for example, in the law, where he says um, uh, that um, this is the way you are to treat the slaves among you, or we might say this, the aliens among you, since this is what we're going to be talking about here in just a minute. This is the way you're to treat them, because remember, you were slaves in Egypt, so you can't forget this. Um, I don't want to say this, this um, uh, major event that God has done on your behalf, this is what you need to call to mind. I think that's the background here. So Paul, uh, again, he's talking about the idea of Israel and all that Israel has. I think it's an Old Testament, an echo of the Old Testament idea of remembering these things that God has done on our behalf. You see it in the law. You see it also in the Psalms. Many of the Psalms will begin with remember, you know, that God has done this in the, in the past. Um, we see it even in, in, in you know, codified in the, these um, practices, these annual practices of the, of the festivals, for example, that the Jewish uh, feasts where they, these were done to remember. For example, Passover was a memory of the, the Exodus. Uh, and then, of course, Jesus takes that Passover meal and he says, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance. And, and so, so it's this idea that we are, you know, I guess you could say we're forgetful people, but, but really I think it is that we are continually calling to mind what God has done for us in the past. And that helps us to live in the present. And, and even I think to, to, you know, have this hope of the future, uh, because we are, we're confident in the way that God has, has acted in the past. So I don't know if. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that kind of reminds me of when we talked about the redeeming work that, that has happened and we talked right. about what Christ has done. But we, back in the Old Testament, the major redemption story was being called call mm-hmm. out of Egypt and yeah. like even generations past that have it had already been delivered and they've gone through yeah. Babylon. Remember what I had done. Yeah. And re- remember that you were slaves. 
So, so how, and, and again, we're getting here, and I don't think I've made this very clear. I hope I have, but we're getting here from kind of this idea of what God has done in, in Christ in order to draw us to himself. And now he's starting to talk about, Paul is starting to talk about what it means for us to be in right relationship with one another. That, and this may seem, you know, if, if, Sometimes we're not as bad as we used to be about this, I think. But I remember when I was growing up, uh, Christianity was all about healing that relationship between me and God, right? And if that was healed, you know, it doesn't nothing else matters. But this is the idea that that's I think that's the beginning. And again, if we're not reconciled with God, ultimately it is impossible for us, I would say, to effectively be reconciled with one another. It's the basis of our reconciliation with God and him making us right, putting us into our right minds that allows us to be right in community with one another. And when we forget, uh, you know, what we once were, um, and Paul does this a couple of different places, um, you know, he, he, he's reminding us, I think, you know, and, and for the, in this case, those who were excluded from citizenship with God uh, are now uh, told to remember that that state or that situation. It's a good question. I yeah. Think. Okay. Does that answer? Yeah. Yeah. Or? I just you know I just saw that word there right. twice as he's starting each yeah. one of those, and I just wondered if there's anything to it. I mean, it, it is like I said, it is used frequently um, throughout um, the Old Testament. Look at the book of Isaiah. Uh, this just occurs to me, and and like I said, this is I'm going to kind of talk about that far and near stuff. Okay. Um, that we see, and and there's all kinds of different examples. Um, this one just comes to mind because uh, because you know I've been preaching through Isaiah. <laughs> this one's just just fresh on my mind. Um, so it's talking about a promise that we have of the coming of Jesus, and I think I mentioned this um, before. But then look down to verse ten of what chapter? I'm sorry, chapter eleven, Isaiah chapter eleven. <laughs> Starting in verse 10. Yep, I'm there. In that day, the root of Jesse, we'll talk about that another day, will stand as a banner for the people. The And here's, here's that word, right? The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations. Now, if Paul uses that phrase, and he does, by the way, in the book of Romans, it, it, the, the earlier um, uh, root of Jesse, um, when that's translated in the New Testament, we will use the word Gentiles for nations here. So, so here's my only thing is when we read the Old Testament, hear that echo of nations. Is that, I think we sometimes obscure that with the way we choose to do our translations. But verse 12 says, he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. So so you, you get that idea that they're being they're being gathered. And, and, and that's not the only place. That's the one that's just fresh in my mind. But we see this kind of idea of far and near throughout the Old Testament. And um, this promise that in the future... Even those who are far away will be brought near. Um, that that there's going to be this this you know uh, rallying of the people. Uh, he, he uses all kinds of really cool images. If we read the rest of that, talks about this idea that there will be a highway, you know, where where it's very easy for people come up to come up to the mountain of the Lord, and so you know the back to the temple, which. You know, I think you by now know. I think that's talking about Jesus and right. what, he's, what he's done. But, but he he has um, you know he he has this promise that those who are far away have now been brought near. Questions on that? No, just that it's cool. Yeah, it's super cool. I think. And and now here's the here's the key word for this next part. We're going to be looking at is peace. Is the word peace? Uh, let me go ahead and read this. You're going to see it three to three different times here. I think and. And there's going to be lots I'm going to have to unpack. But for right now, just listen for this word peace, okay? okay. And, and, and we're thinking about peace as a healing of those relationships that were lost. I'm going to use this image. I just can't stand not doing it. Um, <laughs> in, in Ezekiel, we have this image of the tree of life. And it says its leaves will be for healing. It's on, on each side of the, the river that flows from the temple, and again, I believe that's referring to Jesus. I think that's what Jesus is talking to the about. East to the Dead Sea. And, and I think that's what Jesus is talking about in, you know, wherever that water flows, things will live. And I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. We've, we've talked about that before. But then in the book of Revelation, it says that that tree of life, which is on each side of the river of life, flowing from the throne of God, 
uh, and its leaves will be for the healing of the nations. That idea of all the brokenness, the, the nations again, that mm-hmm. idea of the ethnes, uh, all this brokenness that we see between people will be, will be healed. And, and so that's that kind of peace I think we're talking about. So here's, just listen for the language peace. Uh, okay, I'm Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't help inserting that. For he himself, in other words, Jesus is our peace. Okay, I, I love that. So, so we're in Christ, right? For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, image here is of a fence or a wall, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Literally here it's, well, we'll come back to this. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You see it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cro- cross by which he put to death their hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So you see that idea of peace. And here he's meaning this idea of an end. And he, and he says here, it's the end of hostility. Mm-hmm. Whereas previously there was this hostility between the, the two groups here, the, the Israel and the nations, Israel and everybody Gentiles, else. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, so, so there was hostility. Now he, he, has, he has become, Christ has become our peace. That it is, it is his work. And specifically, his work, Paul's going to say, on the cross is what has made it possible for us to be one again, that there's no longer the separation. So he himself is our peace. So uh, we're, we're brought together in Christ. He's made the two groups one, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And, and specifically, he's going to talk about the law and its all, all its commands. But I would say... You know, when we talk about the brokenness that came as a result of the fall and, and the, the brokenness between ourselves and other people, we could say all of human history in some way is a story of this hostility, right? These separations. Yeah. Uh, give me some example. Can you think of examples? Of uh, hostilities? <laughs> either in our present world or in history, this idea of, of hostility and how, how different ways that it manifests itself, I guess is what I'm asking you, Ryan. Well, I mean... I'm going to go with the big one. I mean, war, war and gen- right. yeah, uh, genocide, um, just general crime against, you know, like right. based upon ethnicities, you know, and so forth. And so Ra- racism, racism. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, hostility <laughs> in general. In I mean, general. yeah, yeah. So. So you're talking about between nations the, the, is the idea of war, you know, this, this idea of hostility that one nation has for another. We're, we mentioned before we're in a time right now where there is active war going on. We've seen wars in the past. And, of course, Jesus promised that, that this is something we'll always hear about until the very end, right, um, that there will always be this idea of nation against nation. Um, we also then you'd mentioned ethnic, uh, for example, you, you mentioned genocide, this idea of one one uh, ethnic group hating another ethnic group to the point that they want to wipe them from the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so division between ethnic groups. And I, I mentioned specifically racism. Mm-hmm. You, you can think about uh, examples of racism that ultimately can be manifest uh, even again to the, to the point of killing, right? This right. idea of wanting to, to do away with them. Now, those are all big things. But I also think that this idea of the divisions can come on a on a smaller scale too, and, and all I mean is this: we see separation w- with our neighbors, for example. Sometimes there's there's separation that takes place between our neighbors. Uh, holy cow, division within even the church sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that there is hostility that comes within the church. Um, there is there is hostility and division, I would say, in our nation right now over ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, usually we'd call it politics, but, you know, that there's division in that sense. There's hostility that takes place there. Um, and even within families, right? There's brokenness even in relationship with families, with um husband and wife with with parents and children you know there's this kind of hostility as well and and again what i think paul's getting at here now he uses this idea of gentile and jew and and i think that for him that's that's a big deal and we're going to see this even in the next beginning of the next chapter in chapter 3 but but i think this idea that he himself is our peace is is a reminder that christ has come to make us right with god but that's not the end of the story he also wants us to become one 
community. He, he also wants to, to unite us in, in this sense together. Uh, and, and for Paul, kind of that idea of Jew and Gentile would have been a major separation. Uh, if you think about Paul's history, and he's going to talk about that specifically again in chapter 3, but if you think about Paul's history, he was one who was persecuting the church until there was a... Uh, I don't say Jesus intervened on on the Damascus Road in order to 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 change his direction, but he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, and, and here's what he says specifically: by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now this raises a huge question, and that is, what does Paul mean by the setting aside of the law? Mm-hmm. So I guess I'd ask you this first, Ryan. How how do you think the law separated Jew and Gentile? Well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, you know, we see in Romans that it let them know what sin, you know, sure. the law revealed sin. It has and, per- and that's why I think it's important. When we think, like I said, this is, we're opening a huge question here we're not going to mm-hmm. be able to resolve, and that is what's Paul's relationship to the law? Uh, Paul certainly, and not only he, not not only in Romans where you're referring to, but later in Ephesians, Paul is clear that the law has purpose, that the law is God's word, that it that it is it is it is with purpose. But there's also a way in which Paul talks about the law being set aside. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it separate them? I mean, there were laws just for, like circumcision, like sure. it was just it was it was creating a physical distinction for them right. between the people around right. them as Absolutely. well. Um, and then there were cultural things and how they cooked and what they right. ate and all that stuff. Like there was these, there were practices and principles in there that's, that made them, or they were supposed to not be acting like those that, that they were living around at right. the same time. So it created this, um, if they had lived in land and not had the law, they might have followed the same practices, but there were some Definite practice differences there. I'm just remembering right, right now, we were talking yesterday about um, Peter going to Cornelius' household. And oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but he begins that sermon by saying, well, you know, we Jews don't normally associate with you Gentiles, you know. I, I mean, the, the unclean and clean. We don't go into your homes, right? Because because who knows what kind of unclean stuff you've got in a Gentile cupboard, you know. Yeah. Uh, so just going into a Gentile home could make someone unclean. And you think about the things that unite us, things like eat, sharing meals together, eating, um, the idea of ho- sharing hospitality, inviting someone into your home, th- there's a separation there. So I think when Paul talks about this idea, and so the question is for Paul, how does Christ set this aside? And, and I'm going to. I mean, this is going to be simplification of a big question, okay? But at its heart, I think Paul is going to say that the law is not what saves us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the law is not saves us. The law is not what brings us near now to God, um, but it is now in Christ that that happens. Both, and, and this is the thing that he makes the point that he makes in Romans. Both for Jews and Gentiles, now um, we come near to God in Christ. Uh, this idea of in Christo that we keep talking about, in Christ that we keep talking about. Uh, and so, you know, part of what he's saying that's happening here is that because of what God has done in Christ, it has now removed that separation, that mm-hmm. wall of hostility. Uh, and and here's, here's what he says, verse, verse, end of verse 15, his purpose was to, and, and very intentionally this word is used, create. His purpose was to create uh, if you think about creation, that that takes us back to to the very beginning, and and, and here's I started to say this before. So the NIV says a new humanity, and they do this because of gender gender inclusive language. The, the 2011 NIV is intentionally gender inclusive, um, and and I think here maybe they they miss a metaphor by doing that. Sometimes they they do that, so they use here humanity instead of the word man. So what he what he had said is he made he, he he was creating in himself in in Christ again in himself one new man out of the two, and, and so I don't think he's talking about <laughs> you know a male person here, I think he's talking about a person right a, a man out of the out of the two. So it's a metaphor that I think is a little bit um, how do I say this um, obscured here by by trying to be gender inclusive but but this idea that there are the two the 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 Jews and the nations or Israel and the nations and now he is creating them as one new man so it's almost like you know Paul talks about new creation right it's almost like he's going back 
and he's saying that there is one new person, new community, new and humanity. Humanity works in the sense, but one new man being created. It's like he's going back and creating Adam, right? Yeah. And 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 then he goes on and he says this. He says, uh, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So he's bringing them together and then together presenting them to God by means of his blood, which, which Paul had kind of summarized uh, earlier. And, um, and so there's this, this kind of an idea that they're in one body. Now, this goes back again to the idea of what, uh, what we talked about at the end of chapter one of the book of Ephesians. So, so in body, I think is used kind of, Paul uses it ambiguously here, I would say. So in his body, on the cross, right, Christ is reconciling us to God. But remember, he's already said at the end of chapter one what Christ's body is. It's the church. Right. So he he is bringing us together now in the church, in his body. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, Making yeah. us one. So he's uniting us. And then, and then, of course, as we've said before, that body is is carrying on the work of what what God has done uh, as well and continues to to be a part of that mission. So. That's interesting that connection between yeah. like that verse 6 and one body to reconcile both of them and we look back uh, and you know back in verse 1 the end of that that he put all things under his feet and appointed yeah. him to be head over everything for the church which is his body. His body. Yeah, I always thought just like a physical, yeah. you know, the, sure. you know, his physical body but never made the jump. I mean, and it's not a jump. It right. just made the connection between there. Again, this is... Well, I think Paul set that up. I mean, I think yeah. he set that up and then... I'm, he, I'm, yeah. he did. Yeah. I just am too dumb to see it. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. No, it's, you, you made it clear. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so then he goes on in verse 17. He came to pray... Uh, uh, to preach peace uh, to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. You know, interesting, just a minor point here, but both of them, and, and Paul makes this clear in Romans again, both the is Israel and the nations needed to hear this message of Christ, right? It's, it's not it's not just for the Gentiles, but it is also for, for Israel, this message as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for through him, again, through Jesus, we ha- both have access to the Father by one spirit. We've talked before about how the Spirit's primary work in us as a community is, I, I believe, unity. Um, back in our Holy Spirit episode, I'd encourage you, I'm not going to repeat all that right now, but go back and listen to that. And it talks about, you know, the idea that because we all have the spirit indwelling us, that that is what connects us. And, and the spirit is the spirit of the spirit of unity, right? Is, is a big part of what the spirit's work is within the church is to bind us together and to make us one. So Christ accomplishes the cross and then, and then the spirit continues to implement it uh, in the way that he works in us and through us in order to accomplish God's purpose. Yeah. Very good. Very good. This is, I love this. <laughs> Good. So there's one more uh, part here. This is chapters, uh, chapter, I keep doing that. Verse, verse. Verses 19 through 21. Yep. So this is chapter 2, 19 through 21. Begins with this idea of consequently. So <laughs> so here are the, here are the, here's the effects. Here's the consequences. Given everything that goes before, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. This is a word that we find, uh, these words are used throughout uh, the Old Testament, even for God's people. Uh, they're called foreigners and strangers in the land, this kind of kind of idea. But fellow citizens with God's people. Now, God's people here, I should, should mention, and, and there's, it, it's not a bad translation, but it's, it doesn't say God's people here. What it says literally is, you, you'll have some translations that will say the saints. Literally, it's the holy ones. Hagioi, mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, the, the holy ones of God. Uh, this word saints. Now, the problem is our word, when, when we use the word saint, we have a very specific idea about what that potentially means, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the idea of holiness that we've talked about before, I think we sometimes have a negative idea of. Holiness for us, um, we, we kind of think of as some kind of, we, you know, we might use the phrase holier than thou or this kind oh, of thing. Yeah. But holy one simply means ones who have been made right with God 
Right. And and we are holy in the sense that we have, um, we are taking on the character of Christ, right? We're being set apart for God's purpose. So, so saint, we talked before about in English, this idea of the sanct and the, the, the holy are, are from two different languages, but they have the same root uh, idea. Sanctuary is simply a holy place and a saint is a holy person. Uh, holy in the sense that we have been set apart for the purpose for which God created us is what I would say. Not like, um, I don't know, we just have kind of a weird idea of, of holiness, holiness, right? right so, yeah. so literally what it says, but fellow citizens with saints, with the saints, and also members of his household. So this idea of we've been made family is kind of the idea. Now he changes the metaphor here, and I love this metaphor, because he starts talking about building. And Paul will do this several times. He does it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to look at a parallel passage actually in 1 Peter, uh, one of my favorite images in the book of 1 Peter uh, a little bit later. But it says they are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So you think about the foundation of a building, very important that it's stable and it's, it's this is the structure. Apostles and prophets, I think he's talking about them being the foundation because they are the first ones that God calls to um, preach the message of the of the gospel. To, to give revelation. Absolutely. And so, so Christ is the chief cornerstone. Apostles and the prophets are the foundation. And then verse 21, here's, here's another, in him, right? In, in, Christ. in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Okay. It's joined together. You think about a building, it's not a bunch of individual, you know, despite what we did when we were kids, um, it's not just a bunch of blocks stacked one on top of the other. Building like that does not stand for a long period right. of time, right? Um, but it is joined it, it has to be connected, uh, and it becomes a holy temple to the Lord. No, in the Lord. Is there something... In the, the Lord, right. Y- yeah, is there something there to the Lord, in the Lord? Is there something there? No, I haven't thought about it, but I, I suppose it's, you know, this is the idea of in Christ, in the Lord is, is kind of Paul's phrase here. Okay. And then verse 22, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So... Paul says this other places, 1 Corinthians 3, for example, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. All of you together are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, uh, your body, and we'll talk about that another time, perhaps. Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians as well, you see the same image. But but we're being joined together in this building. And so that's why the idea of the unity is so important, I think. Um, in the same way that we talked about Jesus being the temple, right? That, that Jesus is the representative of what it means for God to be in our midst, and the means by which we come near to God. Now we have this idea that God's holy people are joined together into a temple in which God lives. So the the indwelling of the spirit, again, that, that unifies us and brings us together, we're being joined together in unity as a body or here as a building, as a temple. Um, for God's purpose, we could say. And so again, it's where God lives. It's where it's the dwelling of God. And it's also the way that we um, see people brought near to God in, into this building. Now, Peter picks up on this image. This is in First Peter. Let me see if I have my reference here. First Peter chapter two. Yeah. First Peter chapter two, verses four through six. If you want to look at that, I'll let you go ahead and read that. Well, why don't you read it? Cause I'm, I gotta, you got to flip. Yes. I don't think I have it either. So, First Peter, what? Chapter two. All right, I'm verses four through six. You got it now. I got it now. Okay, go ahead and read that for us. All right, uh, as you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Go ahead to the next verse. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So it's that same kind of image that Christ is our cornerstone, and then we're being built together on on that foundation, you know, with him as the cornerstone. We're being built together as living stones. So I love that image that that this is kind of how we're unified in a, in a it's for a purpose, right? It's not just um, peace for peace sake or love for love's sake, but we're being joined together in this useful thing as a, as a temple, as a spiritual house is what Peter calls it. Uh, 
Paul calls it a temple here. But but again, this idea that we're being built together. So so we are brought near to God. First part of chapter two. That's that's what we have, uh, even though we were dead in our transgressions and sins. In in what God has done in Christ on the cross has brought us near to God. Uh, and then the last half of chapter two, starting in verse eleven, uh, and even though we were separated and and far you know far near you know mm-hmm. separated from one another by this dividing wall of hostility, through what God has done. In Christ on the cross, we have been also then joined together. And then I'll go ahead and say to you, the reason this is so important, um, the fa- my favorite part of Ephesians we're getting close to, which is the last half of chapter 3, or verses 14 through 21 of chapter 3, but Paul is going to make this point that we are joined together in this way so that we as the church can continue in a powerful way the work of what God is doing and reconciling the world. And uh, you know we're we're participants in, in in this whole in this whole process. So there's a very I think there's a very interesting line of argument. We'll see in the next time. Some people see the first part of chapter three almost as a kind of a a parenthetical statement or excursus, but but uh, I, I think it fits with this whole argument well, and I think I'll try to show at least how that fits together. But um, Paul uses himself as an example of the way that God is using. Uh, call, he's calling us to himself, but then he's also using us to call others to to himself as well. So, very cool. I, I do have a question for you. Sure. So, looking at verse twenty one and twenty two, yeah. in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. What is that in juxtaposition? Because then the next is about the church, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What, I, what is that, that, I think what is that youth, building? Yeah, the, the youth, I think it's the same building. I think the youth throughout here is is those who are not Israel by birth. So you think it's, it's just kind of a similar statement just said twice? Mm, yeah, I, yeah, he's emphasizing here that, that not only... Um, because 21, it seems like it's it's talking that that whole building is separate then because the 22 seems like it's the church. No, I think it, I think the or, emphasis here is and, and and all you are part of this also. I think it's the same mm-hmm. I think it's the same building, I would say. This is the dwelling. I mean, if you think about the temple and the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, mm-hmm. I mean that's two ways to describe the same thing. But um but I think the U2 is that you are included in this as well, uh, emphasizing that. I, I think he said it already, but I think it's just emphasizing that. And, and I'll go ahead and, and give, give this away um, in the next. And I think this is what's so amazing from Paul, right, is this was something that had to be revealed to him. Um, you know, I mentioned Cornelius' household. We were talking about how God had to, um, I want to say kick. Peter in the butt. Probably, probably shouldn't do that because it might offend some of our listeners. But, but, but Peter has already been recorded, my friend. <laughs> Peter, Peter needed a a strong, stern reminder that that God's salvation was being extended to the nations, right, to the mm-hmm. Gentiles as well. That's what Cornelius's household is is about. And when the Spirit of God falls on them, he he, he has to recognize that you know I see to I see now that. God has included the Gentiles, right? So, so God teaches that to Peter. He teaches that to Paul uh, in the Damascus Road experience. I think uh, he says, you know, in, in in that in that first statement, he says um, through Ananias. I guess not the first statement through Ananias. He says, "You you will show him how much he must suffer on behalf of my name, and and basically carry this message to the nations, to the Gentiles." And that's what Paul sees then for the rest of his life as his mission. Um, is you know my my purpose the pur- purpose for which God has set me apart is to to carry this message to the Gentiles, so I, I think he's just emphasizing that that that's a, an amazing. It's hard for us I think you know as a bunch of Gentiles to uh, to to recognize what an amazing truth that was for people in the first century. Now I think it's clear in Scripture <laughs> right throughout the Old Testament. Um, from the time of Genesis, I think it's clear that God's plan was to include the nations. That's what I that that covenant mm-hmm. uh, is a part of this. Um, in Isaiah, all the nations, you know, are going to be, and even God's desire for Him to say in Exodus, 
you will be a holy priesthood, right? Mm -hmm. A a nation of priests. All of that, I think, was to to reach out to the entire world, to to, to the nations. God's, again, same way he's talking about us being built together in order to be uh, useful to him in, in reaching out to the world. I think he was choosing Israel and working in them in order to reach out to others. And, and I can give you lots of examples of that, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's not in the old Testament, but I think it was something by the time you get to the first century and, and not only then, but several times God's people had failed to fully grasp that. Um, by the time you get to the, to the time of Paul, you know, they're, they're seeing this not as, you know, not as the primary point of God's plan. Um, I, I don't think. And so, so kind of that include what he calls the mystery in the next chapter of the inclusion of the Gentiles is, uh, is what is revealed to him in a very special way. So yeah, I feel like I'm just rambling a little bit, but this <laughs> we're just going to let you talk. No, yeah. that was good. You know, I, yeah. I, I, again, I just, I, I, again, we've talked about this is like building of this yeah. argument, building, you know, right. like in, in this, um, drawing people in, you know what I mean? Like sure. that, the, the, the mystery that's being revealed and it's, right. It's, it's great. I, I feel like I'm rambling now, but no, <laughs> it was it was good. So this Very is good. yeah, this is great. Um, and I think this is going to be a great entry into our interview for next yeah. week as well. Oh, like wow. we we didn't really plan this out. No, I mean it, <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> like everything, um, <laughs> we don't plan and it happens. Um, but that's going to lead really well into our yeah. conversation next week. With, I think that's right with Josh and Sarah. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and I and I really hope that the the listeners will tune in next week to hear that, and then we'll be back in Ephesians in two weeks. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Brian. All right, good to talk to you, Ryan. Mm, Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week will be a bit different as we have a special episode with guests Josh Sharif and Sarah Tierney. They both work together to write the book Stranger at Our Shore. Josh came to America as a child with his mother and sister from Egypt. His mother, a Christian, fled with them as it was becoming increasingly dangerous for them there. The book tells the story from his early childhood in Islam to coming to America and finding Christ. Josh, now a pastor, not only shares his story, but uses his experience to present a challenge to the church today to live out its mission. Brian and I had about an hour to chat with them both and can't wait for you to hear what they have to say. We hope you will join us for that. Thanks again for joining us at the table. We will be back Tuesday.